Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I am honored, humbled, and excited for you to be joining us today. What an exciting session we have coming up today. We're joined by the VP of Sales from Outreach.io, a platform which is helping thousands of salespeople engage with more prospects every day and helping organizations automate some of the most frustrating tasks within the sales process. Mark is also the co-author of Sales Engagement, a book that talks about how the world's most fastest growing companies are modernizing the sales process through humanization. We're excited and honored to have Mark join us today. This episode is perfect timing given the new financial year has just started, or for people with a different fin year calendar, the new quarter has just begun. Regardless of how you finished last year or quarter, everything starts again. This is what I love about sales. We always have the opportunity to start again. Why is this episode such an exciting topic for us to be discussing? Because Mark discusses with us what are the best practices when it comes to sales cadence. Prospecting is the magic pill that solves all problems when it comes to sales. Why is cadence important? Data shows us that the buyer requires between 9 to 12 attempts before they engage with us. Yet on average, salespeople only make 2.1 attempts. This is a huge opportunity for us to engage with more prospects and therefore fill our funnel so that we can have the best chance possible to succeed. So this episode will explore what Mark does using his platform to drive insane outreach performance. Before we get into today's session, please rate us, like us, and share what you like about our show. We enjoy bringing you content each week and enjoy receiving gratitude from our listeners. So let's get into today's session. Hey man, welcome to the show, Mark. Excited to have you on. Hey, what's up, Luigi? How you doing, man? Yeah, good, my man. Very good. Thanks for joining us today, man. I'm, I'm super pumped and excited to, to talk about all things sales and sales cadence with you. Dude, that's all I talk about and think about all day, so. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, um, as we said, today's topic's uh, all about how to create an engaging sales process or an engaging cadence process. However, before we get into this exciting topic, share with us how you started in the world of sales. Uh, I started, I think, when I was seven years old or four years old or something like that. I went to my uncle's house at the beach, and I wasn't satisfied with the toys he had available to me to play with. So I loaded them up in a wagon and went house to house and sold people on trading their toys that I wanted with the crappy toys that I had. (laughs) So, And then it just never stopped from there. Yeah, awesome. So pretty early on, you're exposed to the world of bartering, trading, and negotiation. Yeah, yeah. But my first real sales job was um, uh, I was running a small business at Penn State University and I I was having my second kid and uh, the owner just couldn't pay me enough money uh, to stay. And so I interviewed at a company that called Great American and it's a a subsidiary of a larger company called Southwestern. And Southwestern, Southwestern has a 150 year heritage of teaching people how to sell. And they, they kind of, the reason they have different businesses is they sell into different things. They sell into education, they sell into life insurance, they sell into 
you know, education in books and things like that. And you, they sell door to door. And so I worked for one of those, um, those companies and, and got a, a wonderful initial exposure to sales and how to sell. Oh, fantastic. And what were some of the quick learnings that you, you had when you were, you know, working in that sort of environment? My, uh, so I learned two things, uh, if I was to boil it down is one is work ethic. Like you won't win if you don't work and sitting around and planning forever about how to be awesome means that you're that much further away from being awesome. Like just get started and like, uh, find the places in your work to plan. Don't plan and then find your places to work. Yeah. And then secondly, uh, I learned something called the the stink of desperation (laughs) and what that means what that means is really simple is um i had one year where i had sold a uh a ton of business and in this company you might have like a three or four month window where you would make the majority of your money and i'd done a really really good job of setting that time period up and about two-thirds of the way through i had hit all my goals and i was set to have a great year but I still had a third of that selling time left and I had a lot of appointments on my calendar and most of my appointments were in the evening, which means I was away from my family and I love my family and love my wife. So like, I don't, you know, I'm not cool with like just being out for just being out. Yeah. And uh, so I also knew that if I didn't go to these appointments and I know showed that it would hurt me in the future years where I might need to, you know, uh, get these uh, deals in when I, when I didn't necessarily need them in that specific year. And so um, I went out and I just was kind of like, listen, here's the deal. This is how I do it. If you like it, you'll buy from me. If you don't like it, like, I don't care. Like, I'm doing so good. Like, but, you know, this is just it. It wasn't quite that flippant, but that was like the mentality I had. And I actually signed up more business doing that than I did the other way when I had that, like, I got to hit my quota. I got to figure out what I'm going to do. And so I I tell people all the time, like, once you lose the stink of desperation, uh, of being desperate, then that's when you actually really do some great selling. So uh, those are the two things I learned that first sales job. Yeah, fantastic. So obviously, you know, that stink of desperation when you do the hard work and you're committed to doing all those tasks early in the process, it has a real impact on not being desperate. Yeah, I think so. I mean, listen, um, the best way not to be desperate is to be confident and to be winning. And I found the best way to be confident and be winning is to be doing a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't beat half hard work, right? Well, yeah. You know, like, listen, there's so many sales reps that sit in their, their home office or sit at their desk in their office and they, uh, they sit around planning and trying to figure out how to do well. And they see the numbers are never getting well and they get desperate and then they start out, they're doing work from a place where they're already behind mm. and versus there's people that just jump in and figure things out and find time to plan and find the time to do the stuff, but they never let it get in the way of, of working. And I found that that action and activity and momentum all usually happen together. So mm. uh, why not do that? And then most of the time you start to get some successes and some wins. And so you, you're not nearly as desperate. Yeah, Absolutely. And mate, you're a, you're a co-author. You authored a, a, a you know a newly released book. Um, you know where where did the inspiration to to write that book come from? Well, I think that uh, 
the idea of the book came from our VP of marketing, Matt's Alt, Max Altshuler. That's his yep. third book. And he's done a really great job of um, taking ideas that are starting to emerge in sales and um, codifying them in a book so that people can really have a chance to kind of take a glimpse at the early adopters and the people that are kind of blazing a trail. And so he came to us and he said, when he joined uh, outreach and he said, Hey, we're creating this brand new technology uh, that's creating this new category in this space that's never existed before. We should write a book on there to show our level of expertise and how we think about things. And so he got with me and, and Manny Medina, who's our CEO and uh, we put some stuff in there. We found some other really great thinkers in the sales space that also contributed and yep. compiled all that into a book. So it wasn't necessarily me sitting down or Max or Manny sitting down at a typewriter and typing out 100 page, pages each. It was, uh, you know, the culmination of a bunch of conversations and, you know, things that thought pieces that we'd written that we accumulated together and then great people that we knew that had really smart uh, takes and really understand what they were doing. And, and Max like compiled that all that together. Then they just slapped my name on the front. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, it's good to be uh, with that category of, uh, of, of, of people. And these are strategies in that book. I mean, they talk about some of the strategies that outreach.io have, have executed to achieve their growth. Um, some of the growth you know, goals. That I would tell you, Everything that I wrote and contributed to the book was born out of me trying to figure it out at outreach and coming on as a a sales leader uh, that was frustrated at working at old companies that I couldn't get to change and couldn't try all my harebrained schemes. And (laughs) I was lucky enough to be early at outreach and have the trust of our CEO and every crazy idea I ever had, I tried and lo and behold, many of them worked. So Fantastic. And that's what I want to talk about today. So, um, cadence, sales cadence. Uh, share with us your definition of what a, a sales cadence is. Yeah, we call it a sequence, and a sequence is a series of sales activities separated by periods of time in order to accomplish something. That could be to set an initial meeting. It could be to get a security review back. It could be to uh, liven up a dead opportunity. It could be to you'll get the final signature on the contract, but every uh, salesperson has a process, subconscious, unstructured, uh, uh, or, you know, very detailed. It runs the gamut. And uh, a sequence is just those series of steps and the plan and the process for a rep to, to do those steps to accomplish something. Yeah, fantastic. And then, and this is not just um, isolated to pre-contact. Um, you set up sequences for each stage of the sales process? I wouldn't even say it's each stage. It's a use case. Like, so okay. let's say that uh, I just set a meeting with someone and I used a sequence to set that meeting. Well, yep. we would also use a sequence to make sure that that person shows up. And if they no show, we'd use a sequence to get them back on the hook. Yeah. And then if they didn't schedule the demo after the initial meeting, we'd use a sequence to make sure that that initial meeting converted into a demo. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes they align with stages, but mostly they're, think of them as purpose-based. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. If we can go back from a purpose-based perspective, because, you know, I often speak to sales teams about the volume of touches required to engage with a prospect. Um, and I received some pushback that making, you know, making too many outreach attempts 
um, is harassing a, is a prospect or a lead. From the data you've been exposed to, are you able to share on average how many touches are required to engage with a lead that's purely outreach that we haven't they haven't you know put a um, said they're interested to talk to someone so we're just doing an outreach campaign um, what are, what's the data telling you uh, well I think you can look at a ton of different data sources yep. uh, but if you kind of compile them all together the general rule of thumb is it takes eight to 13 touches in order to engage a cold prospect to get them to uh, book a meeting or to really to engage with you. Then the engagement has to go successfully to book the meeting, but to engage, it takes eight to 13 touches. Yeah. Okay. And through that sort of, you know, if I was to set up, say I'm a, I'm a director of sales, I'm listening to this episode and we haven't got any sort of structured outreach process, which a lot of businesses don't, um, you know, what do you suggest is the first step that we should do before, before executing a, a cadence plan? I think the best way to start is to take people that are really good at what you are trying to uh, sequence or cadence yep. you know what I mean? Like, so if, and let's just use outbound prospecting cause that one's easy. So let's say you're trying to take a cold prospect from your CRM and get a meeting on the books with them uh, that's on your calendar. And uh, you know, so that process, you need to find the best people in your company doing that sit them in a room with a whiteboard and say, show us how you do it. Cause they have a way of doing it. And uh, they might have to think about it. You know, what they put on uh, the whiteboard might not be exactly what they do, but it's going to be directionally accurate. And what you'll, what you can do with that, the purpose of that is you're creating a hypothesis on the best practice of doing outbound prospecting. And you say, this is how we want this to look. And then you, you know, you get a tool like outreach, you know, uh, that then you can operationalize that and you can program it into a workflow so that a rep can do it every time. And then you measure the effectiveness of it to see if you need to tweak anything or if it's uh, performing well. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. So we, we, we do some testing, we get some of the guys, we hypothesize. Um, and then from that sort of, you know, is it email, text, voicemail? Like, do you have a, do you set up a plan that, um, you know, talks to which medium we're going to engage with the prospect? Well, let me ask you, Luigi, do you take cold calls? Oh, look, I'm I'm pretty active on the phone. So sometimes I do, um, but sometimes I don't. So hence why. You, yeah, that, and that's a great answer. Do you, do you get cold prospecting emails and read them? Absolutely. Sometimes and sometimes I don't. Yeah, if you get prospected on LinkedIn and somebody sends you a message, do you respond to it? Yeah, no, you, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those things. They get lost with the amount of uh, notifications that we're getting a day, the amount of you know different platforms that we're using. Um, it's it sometimes get lost. Yeah, so I think your answer is a very uh, normal one, which is sometimes I pick up a cold call, sometimes I don't. Mm. Sometimes I respond to an email, sometimes I don't even read it. Sometimes I get pissed when somebody pitches at me on. Uh, LinkedIn. Sometimes <laughs> I think it's good. Yeah. And I think the the answer is, is if you're not omni-channel, if you're not uh, communicating with, with your buyer where they are, then you are losing a path in a, in a stream that you could be tapping into for uh, results. Now at Outreach, we have a fairly ba balanced approach, but still the majority of our meetings are booked on the phone. Another third or so are booked uh, 
uh, via email and then maybe 10 or 15% are booked on social. Yeah. And so, you know, but if we were to shut down social because it didn't work, then we would lose 10 to 15% of our, the meetings that we book. Mm. So yeah, you should definitely plan out, uh, omni-channel, uh, sequences that take advantage of finding the person, uh, you want to talk to where they want to be talked to. Yeah. And, and, uh, I've having a few debates with some people at the moment and I loved when I, when I heard you talk recently, and you actually said, you know, so I think you said something like, I think it's 60 or 70% of the, the meetings that you book of iPhone, right? Um, yep. There's a lot of banter about, you know, cold calling's dead, the phone's dead, people don't answer. Um, you know, with regards to that, you know, how are you getting such success from the phone? Is it because it's a combination of things or are you, do you get create scripts for your SDRs? You know, what are some of the techniques you're using to get such success on the phone? Well, let me address the cold calling is dead. I think that people say that kind of for a few reasons. One is uh, people don't like the cold call, yeah. so uh, they talk themselves out of it. Yep. Two is everybody's looking for a magic bullet, and the cold call is too easy of a magic bullet for people to believe, and they think they can find something out there that's like magically going to make them way, way better, and that's <laughs> just not true. Like we talked about earlier, it's really about work, not about magic bullets. And three, you know what? You might be in an industry and talk to a persona, a buyer that has no interest in talking on the phone. Yeah. Like if you sell to software engineers, they don't want to talk on the phone. So you're not going to get response if you try to use the phone with them. So uh, I would say the reason that we get great results is salespeople that we sell to and marketing people and operations people don't mind picking up the phone for the most part. So that's the first part is we tested that. And we know that to be true. And then secondly, our SDR leadership has put together uh, training and scripts and they are committed to doing almost daily role plays on calling because it's such a payoff for us. So we've put in the effort and the planning uh, to make sure that the reps uh, take the best advantage of a medium that's proven to work for the kind of buyers that we, we need to get on the phone. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that because it, it drives me crazy um, when I hear that term, you know, that cold calling is dead because, you know, you're right, for the vast majority of people, the phone is still um, a major tool that needs to be used. And, and you know what? Not everybody's going to pick up. doesn't mean necessarily well, mean we, we stop doing it. Just like not everybody's going to answer a LinkedIn request or, a, or an in-mail. So uh, this is how I always answer this question or this or talk about this topic, Luigi. It's like, so you're a seller. Um, when someone comes up with an objection, do you want the ability to overcome it? Absolutely. And when's the best time to do that? Like right in the moment or to wait later and do it later? No, no, we've got to first understand what the true objection is and then do it right there and then because if we leave it too long, then – you know, the, the ability to overcome that is, is, is quite, is hindered. So the majority of emails that you get in your inbox that are replies to your selling, are they, or are they not usually containing an objection? Yeah. Or stall or an objection. Absolutely. Exactly. So if you combine that, that like series of questions, why would you put all of your eggs into a medium that allows people to make objections that you can't respond to in the moment? Mm. 
and that you then have to count on that they're going to read and comprehend when you're not in the room. When you can pick up the phone, hear the objection, and then over or you know, and then overcome the objection if you need to. I don't really like the idea of overcoming objections. It's more like responding and helping somebody understand, like you know, do they have a misconception about what you do, or do you have a misconception about what you do? Because there's some kind of misalignment that needs to be taken care of or agreed upon so that you can move on. And so, but like the only way you can do that is face to face and on the phone. Yeah. So that's where I'm going to put my bets is the places where I can deal with people's misconceptions and uh, either realign them or uh, you know decide that they're not going to be a good fit. Yeah. Fantastic. That is awesome. Such an awesome response. So just to recap, so what we've covered so far. So very first thing we've got to do is identify, you know, who our target persona is and understand the, the platform that they engage with so that we are, um, you know, we're talking to them, we're, we're there, we're there engaging, create an omni-channel presence, um, you know, talk to your best prospecting um, team members and hypothesize and whiteboard and hypothesize, um, you know, the best outreach model um, and workflow that's associated with that. Talk to outreach.io, automate this so that they are, you know, able to, to get the best out of this process um, and then test it. So have I captured so far what you've discussed with me? Yeah. Know who you want to talk to. So uh, let me go like a little bit step deeper. So you have um, what we would call a content matrix. So after you decide who you want to talk to, you need to take a look at like how uh, you need to prioritize those people uh, based on the type of account that they're in. So let's say that you have a tier one account, which is an account that should be your customer. They just don't know it yet. And they're really, they're really awesome. Everything's in line. Like they meet your ICP, your ideal customer profile. They're like in their sweet spot. And then you got a tier three account, which is someone that like, if you can get the low hanging fruit, you'll talk to them, but you don't necessarily need to put a lot of time into it. But when you have this matrix on the X axis, you have their persona on the Y axis, you have the tier of accounts. So the, uh, let's say that, you know, the first column is you, you reach out to sales operations. So sales operations, people that are in tier one accounts need to have a sequence that's highly personalized, that is very manual, that contains a lot of phone calls that might have, you know, several uh, days or weeks of nurturing uh, built in on LinkedIn. For example, you connect on LinkedIn without an ask and definitely don't effing pitch right after yeah. you. Like <laughs> I used to hear people complain about this and it never happened to me. And in the last month it's happening to me so much. It's, it's like, I don't understand how people don't see the rudeness of it. But anyway, that's a soapbox issue. But, you know, but then like, like uh, two or three posts that they have over the next week, then comment on a post and then maybe make a post or something that tags them. Like, like do a, you know, think about it a little bit more long-term, mm. you know what I mean? And so you, you have like a situation like that because it's a tier one account at a very important persona for your company versus a very important persona at a not important company might get a couple phone calls and a couple touches yeah. and mo- will be a lot more automated, right? Not have as many steps, won't last as long. But then let's say you take like an unimportant persona that maybe you don't need a lot of, you, you're going to take that like less personalized, more automated approach, even on a tier one company and on a tier three company, you probably would just ignore that person. Yep. And so like you have to have that content matrix kind of built out to understand what all content you need to create. 
And then you just create a little sequence structure inside of each one of them that prioritizes the time of the rep based on the importance of the company and the persona. So if I want my rep spending all their time, like here, outreach, they spend 75% of their time on best personas in the best accounts because we've developed the sequences to make sure that that's where all of their time is spent. In the less important accounts, they can still go after them, but it's just more automation and less phone calls so the, the reps spend less time. Okay, fantastic. And as part of that content matrix, um, are you is that something that you do with marketing to say, hey, you know, these are the problems that these particular personas are faced with, so this is how our content should be addressing their needs? Um, you know, how do you go about creating that content? You can do that. Uh, I would I would tell you that um, sometimes marketing. So um, the reason there's two job functions of uh, sales and marketing is because it's different jobs. Yeah. And you know how you communicate because of what your job is uh, is a reality. And so marketing people communicate. Really great marketing people communicate to an audience in a really great marketing way to accomplish really great marketing results. Great salespeople speak to their people in a great sales way to accomplish really great sales results. Mm. And so I would argue most of the time, uh, salespeople need to create their own content because they're trying to accomplish great sales results in a sales way. And uh, it takes a really great alignment and a really great partnership with marketing to be able to get the same results. We find it time after time where a company will put in marketing uh, sponsor content and then a sales guy will A-B test their much yeah. more simplistic language and the sales guy wins. But th- that's a, a very harsh generality. Mm. And really what it depends is on your, uh, your specific company and, and how well your marketers yeah. uh create content, but honestly, it's all an opinion until you have data. And that's what uh, an awesome thing about outreach is, is like your first email, let a marketing person write it, let a sales person write it, and then see what see what works better. You'll have the data, then you'll know. There's yeah. no need to guess. Absolutely. So that's a, you know, a great response, Mark. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, with regards to the emails that we're putting into that sequence, um, from what you've seen, should it be branded? Should they be long? Should they be short? Um, you know, what gets cut through? Uh, it should be all text. Yep. No images. It should be very short. The shorter, the better. We find a direct correlation to the brevity of the email with someone's willingness to respond. That doesn't necessarily mean positive response, but yeah. their ability <laughs> to respond and at least get engagement, right? Yep. And, uh, and your subject line has to be very compelling. So uh, I would highly recommend the person that I think understands this kind of prospecting email the best that has unbelievable content uh, is Josh Braun on LinkedIn. If people don't follow him, they should. He puts out an amazing amount of awesome content. He used to be a kindergarten teacher and most people need to be sold to like their kindergartner. So it's like perfect. Yeah. Okay. We'll, uh, put him in the show notes so people can engage. So that's fantastic. So there's some good tips around building those, uh, um, you know, some engaging emails. Now, one of the things I heard you talk about as well was your ability to get so many meetings held. Um, 
I, I do notice that with a lot of the clients that I work with and a lot of the challenges that companies are faced with is they, you know, book an appointment, but they can't get them to the appointment. Um, share with us what you've done to be able to get that such a high ratio of appointments held. Yeah, we have a very structured process about getting people to show. And it starts with when we book the meeting. When we book the meeting, our SDRs ask a simple question. Like, before I get off the phone with you real quick, thanks for taking the time. Why are you booking this meeting? Yep. And what that does is it creates a mental cycle and a mental hook inside that prospect's mind that allows them to subscribe um, value to that meeting in their own words, which psychologically should predisp predisposition them to be more likely to show up. So we start with that. Fantastic. Then what we do is we send the invite. Now we use outreach to do this. We have a feature called outreach meetings that allows you to create a meeting template. So when your invite comes from Google or, or Outlook or whatever, how that invite comes says a lot about you. I and mean, if you just put like Mark Luigi 30 minutes, it, you know, it doesn't say anything about you other than, you know, you write very short indescriptive meet, uh, meeting agendas, right? But if you send a one that says like, hey, um, Mark slash Luigi outreach uh, introductions, uh, agenda, agenda below. And then underneath that, it has, here's your Zoom information. If you need to get on the meet, when you need to get on the meeting quickly, here's the people that are going to be in this meeting. Here's the agenda and the points we're going to cover. And if you need to have any questions, here's my email address so you can reach out to me and ask me directly, right? Yeah. And that goes out as a meeting invite and it makes it look like we take the meeting seriously. Yeah. Fantastic. Then we also send out um, a, uh, a video that just says, or so email that has a video in it that just says, Hey, we're really excited. You're taking the meeting. We promise that it'll be valuable. You know, we can't wait for you to show up. And if you have any questions in the meantime, let us know. And it's like a very short 30 second impactful video that says that we're going to provide value in that meeting. And if it doesn't, you know, you should call us out on that. And then we send a reminder, I think a couple days before we send a reminder the morning of the meeting. And then we send a reminder like three or five minutes before the meeting as well. And so that's a lot of effort, but like you think about it, our uh, meeting hold rate, I think right now is like 82% or 76% wow. or something like that. I should probably look it up right now. And um, it varies from week to week, but it's like high 70s, low 80s almost all the time. And uh, the reason that that's awesome is because most people are in the low 50s. Yeah. And you can see like you can get 2x the productivity out of a rep if you can get, you know, uh, that much, that many more meetings or you can get 50%, you know, more productivity out of a rep because 50% or more of your meetings are showing up. So it sounds like a lot of effort and a lot of, you know, rep time. Now, outreach is a, a solution that can help you automate a lot of that. So the rep doesn't have to do it and they do it and it happens for them every single time. But developing that like respect for making sure the meeting holds and that kind of process around it makes the meeting hold. Yeah, that's amazing. That's fantastic, you know, and, and you're right. I see so many companies, you know, that 40s to 50% of their meetings are being held and it's driving them, it's, it's driving, you know, director of sales and VP of sales crazy. No, it, it, it would drive me crazy. I mean, that's a <laughs> lot of work and a lot of effort to get somebody not to show up. And now the SDR or the appointment setter is, is dejected because they're not going to make any money. Mm. The rep is PO'd because they've wasted a half an hour of their time 
the customer now is going to get annoyed because you're going to be asking them when they're going to reschedule a hundred times. Yeah. And so like, you know, it's just like a bad experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, really appreciate you sharing that with us. I know that's something that you, you you've worked on and, and you're getting a lot of success. So that's great. Um, mate, if, you could, uh, you know, go back in time and do everything again. What's one thing you do differently in your career? Uh, I'm not sure, man. <laughs> I don't really look back a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I look forward and try to go after what I have. I would think one thing, uh, one lesson I learned really early that was impactful that I probably wish I would have learned sooner is um, – uh, the way I describe it is there's a rock sitting next to you, Luigi. Yeah. You can either get, take this hammer and chisel and chisel out a wheel to go on your car, or you can buy this nice rubber tire that's ready to buy on the rack and you can just take it out and, and go. And like, I think that that's something that I learned early in my sales career that I wish I'd learned earlier, which is there's people that are already doing what you're doing and they're doing it really, yeah. really well. And there's no need for me to recreate the wheel every time I want to do something. Just go borrow something that already works, learn it, master it, and then I'll find the deficiencies to make it better and make it my own rather than being like, I'm going to re-architect this whole thing. <laughs> Everybody sucks. I'm going to do it in this awesome way. And uh, really all you're doing is uh, trying something that you don't even know if it's going to work well or not. It's just your opinion. So uh, yeah, that would be one thing that I wish I learned earlier. No, that's it. You know, I, I, I second that. Um, I did that so many times, try to recreate things early in my career, and I'm like, well, there's a book, I'll read it, see what they do, and I'll just contextualize it to, to my needs and to my industry. And, um, you know, something that I wish I had learned earlier as well. So, and, um, mate, wouldn't to understand in your career, you've, you're very successful at what you do, the biggest influence in your career and why? Uh,. I would say the biggest influence in my career is, is my faith. Uh, li listen, I, uh, I believe that all, as long as I love God, all things are going to work out in my favor. And so like the downtimes don't worry me and I have a, a high, highly positive outlook on life. And I figure if I work hard, like the chips are going to fall my way. And, yeah. and um, you know, even if bad things happen, it's, it's, it's cool. It's an opportunity and a chance for me to learn and to grow out of that. And so I'd say like my biggest influence on, on my career is, is my positive outlook and my ability and willingness and enjoyment of work, which yeah. I think both stem from my faith. That's fantastic. You know, that mindset really comes through in, in the way you talk, Mark. So again, appreciate you sharing that with us. And um, mate, in, in your opinion, sales, is it a science or an art? I think that it is um, it is uh, more science than art. Okay. I think uh, 90% of what a salesperson does is process science driven and needs to be more scientific. And the last 10% is just me and you two humans talking together. And that's where the art is. Uh, that's where the art is. All right. Awesome response, man. That is awesome. I mean, I ask every guest that question and, uh, you'd be, you know, most, um, most people go, it's an, it's an art. And uh, I think you and Richard Harris have said now that it's, a, it's more of, a, you know, the science and then with a little bit of art at the end. So really appreciate that, mate. It's been awesome having you on today. But before we finish, are you able to tell everyone where they can find you? How can they connect with you? Um, 
you know, following this podcast? Yeah, uh, the best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. I am, uh, I, I enjoy people. And so uh, if you reach out, uh, I usually will uh, almost always get back to you. The only reason I don't is if it's super cheesy uh, or you're trying <laughs> to pitch me on something. Uh, All right, so uh, then- and I don't mind being pitched. I just pitch me the right way. Don't uh, connect with me and five minutes later, try to pitch me. Or, or my new pet peeve is ask me, that you want to get together with me to learn about my business. Like, I don't want to teach you about my business. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't benefit me in any way. So as long as you don't do those two things, I'm down for uh, getting together. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, look, I really appreciate, you, you know, you coming on to the show, sharing some of this insight with us. I value what you're doing um, at Outreach. It's, 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 an, it's an amazing platform and uh, we'll put the details so that our listeners can can look further at the platform and, and engage with you as well. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Bang. What a session that was with Mark. You can hear his intensity, his energy, and his passion for what he does. Mark has not just read a book based on a few principles when it comes to cadence and simply gone, I'm going to do this. Mark's knowledge and insight comes from hours and hours and hours of execution, changing up different styles of outreach to see what works. So what I learned today is that Prospecting, cadence, everything to do with sales is an ongoing process. No matter what we know, what we learn, there's always something else to add to the process. So my challenge to you this week is, what are you doing in your cadence process? How are you adding value? How are you changing your narrative? How are you going to market to engage with more prospects so that you can be the best sales professional you can be? 